702 presents the Locked and Down podcast with Cindy Paluta in association with the South African Depression and Anxiety Group because help is at hand. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening from me, Cindy Paluta, to everyone listening to this Locked and Down podcast right now, wherever you might be across the world. It's almost hard to believe that we're past the halfway mark of South Africa's 21-day national lockdown. For some people, it's been the longest time. For others, it's been an amazing, soulful experience. And for some, it's been business as usual. And if you're finding it hard at the moment, remember the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, also known as SADAC, is operating 24 hours a day. You can call them on 0800-456-789. Today's podcast, we're chatting to clinical psychologist Neil Amor. Thank you so much for your time today, Neil. Oh, Cindy, thanks for having me, and it's such an important topic. So today's podcast is more about substance abuse and people battling uh, different kinds of dependencies or addictions, rather, on various substances. And I've seen the memes going around, and we've seen the jokes, and everybody's kind of joking about changing from coffee in the morning to alcohol in the afternoon. And while we joke about this, this actually is quite a serious problem in our society in that A, people are now perhaps drinking more during the week, or B, this could be the start of some very serious problems. There, there are a lot of concerns around this. Now, you know, you touch on a point that's really so important, and that is the the way that alcohol, for example, is culturally interwoven or embedded in South African society. It's a legal drug, but it's it's something that is intrinsically a part of the way that we connect with each other. And so when we look at something like lockdown, where folk, you know, our concern is that there are folk who drink because they, they enjoy the taste, they drink socially, etc., etc. They are probably going to find a, a sense of inconvenience in not being able to buy alcohol at, you know, various stores, etc. But they, they may not struggle as much. The folk that we're particularly worried about are folk who might be self-medicating, who struggle with underlying anxiety or depression, and in their attempt to cope and function, have turned to alcohol over a lengthy period of time um, as a way of dealing with that. And we now have a situation where lockdown as a whole is causing such a disruption to everyday functioning and structures, which in and of itself is causing heightened levels of anxiety, higher than I think that we've probably ever seen before. And what do we do now with those folk who have effectively either had their, their coping mechanism removed because they don't have access to it, or have stocked up and are now in fact, adding to the problem because they are potentially drinking more and further dysregulating their emotional functioning. And what that does, of course, is that it increases anxiety and depression. It exacerbates underlying concern. So it's very worrying because it's something that, you know, folk, even if you look at coffee, you mentioned coffee earlier. I mean, coffee in itself is a problematic substance in, in many ways. But it's this belief that we need something to allow us to cope with a situation that is external to us and be under immediate control. And when we look at folk who are struggling internally with their own coping mechanisms, they're very vulnerable at a time like this, extraordinarily so. And as a result, an extension of that, so are their families and the folk that are now in close proximity and unable to get away from them. So I will tell you now, we're seeing an overflow in all the patients I'm dealing with right now, an overflow of that anxiety onto the folk around them. And so the alcohol concern is now affecting family functioning in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. So it's quite interesting that you say that because I've got friends who work in trauma units in various hospitals across Johannesburg who say the amount of you know incidents they have of people coming through to the emergency room on a Saturday night, be it from a bar, 
car fight, a stabbing, whatever, has actually decreased. But it's interesting then that you say that actually the problem is now in the home. If we look at the dynamics of this, that is where the abuse is happening generally. And if you look at how families cope with substance abuse as a whole, there's not a high rate of folk actually going and reporting this in the first place. There's a sense of shame. There's a sense of embarrassment around that. And so in reality, for every case that, and I can't give you a statistic on this, your statistics yeah. on substance abuse and stuff are lacking. But anecdotally, that the number of cases that are presenting at a casualty unit on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night, I would estimate are a small percentage of what's actually happening in reality. And this we've seen through time. But now we also have a situation where you're advised against just reporting to casualty for anything right now because of the COVID lockdown. You know, the health system is overstretched anyway. And so what lockdown is encouraging, I would be concerned, let me put it that way, I'd be concerned about it. It's further entrenching the belief that we keep this kind of shameful condition because addiction and abuse is always considered a shameful condition is it's actually keeping it much more in the home than we would have seen before because folk don't just want to leave we saw i mean last week the instances of uh, domestic violence cases i think were eighty-seven thousand. you know and after a couple of days of lockdown that's an extraordinarily high figure and while not being able to say that that's all related to substance abuse i would i would estimate that a significant number of those cases probably are directly or indirectly as a result of someone who is struggling to cope with their their moods now and remember folk that can't that, that don't um, have access and are now withdrawing and are coping are now left having to cope with a tremendously distressing emotional situation without their sort of accepted coping tool on top of the, the physical withdrawals. That, that creates a very volatile situation. So for people, if they're at home and they're in lockdown and they're alone, this would almost tra- uh, test their true strength and their support systems around them of being able to pick up the phone and say, you know, please just speak me through the next 45 minutes to an hour. And, and how would you, what coping mechanisms would you give them or little tips or tools that they could use right now? Well, the first thing is to, is to engage with the family. And, and we always want to speak about the symptom. We want to speak about the feeling that I have right now. And so when we accept that, that recovery like relapse is a process and it isn't an event you know there's a development of of behaviors and thoughts that lead to a relapse there's the the return of that in terms of recovery is is understanding what those behaviors and thoughts were and disarming them by sharing and talking that's one of the key principles of recovery and one of the things we want to do within a family context now is for the person struggling is to share and talk with the people in the home with them if they don't have anybody in the home with them is to reach out to someone like Sadat, you know to be able to talk it disempowers the emotion and the thought within the person that would lead to relapse and one of the key elements with this is explaining to family members in your home that I am going to struggle with this, that this is not a perfect process, that this thing that I'm dealing with underlying this is an emotional state, is that I'm struggling with the anxiety of lockdown, I'm struggling with the anxiety of being kicked up, of the finances and all the difficulties there, but I'm also struggling with the fact that I'm missing the substance, this thing that I've relied on for so long. And for the person to be able to share that openly with family is key, and for the family to hear that, not as a sign that they are bad and that they're going to relapse right now or the treatment hasn't worked, but that it's an honest acknowledgement of the difficulty of this condition. And to remember that most folk that land up in a space of substance abuse don't land up, funny enough, through a gateway drug as such. They land up there as a gate, through a gateway emotional psychological process. So that's largely driven by an anxiety, a disconnection, an alienation or a depression or childhood traumas. Those, those are the things that we're now left with. We've now removed the substance. Uh, we can't get to it. But how are we dealing with these emotions? And that's where the person themselves needs to be able to reach out and talk and talk their way through that and to have a solid structure just to learn to develop that, to have honest, open discussions. 
around this and say, look, effectively, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a rehab situation. I don't have access to the drug board. I'm focusing now on these emotions that are plaguing me and I need to be able to share those. As unpleasant as it might be for you guys as my family to hear that, this is where I am. And that gives the family members a tremendous insight if they're open enough and are willing to just hear what their loved one is going through. If you don't have anyone, really have to reach out to support networks. Reach out to something like Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. Get hold of someone there and say, look, this is where I'm struggling. Can I get a sponsor just in this time? Someone I need to speak to. So there's, we've got to replicate some of that. And it's going to be a non-judgmental space. Um, and so speak to your families if you've got them great and also reach out to these support structures and then focus on the mindfulness space of day by day and going that you know really what i have to do now is i have to start engaging with the world around me to lower my anxiety learn to control what i can control it's one of the, you know the serenity prayers a key part of um, aa and, and and na and to start looking at what is in my daily environment right now that i can start to to deal with as opposed to the you know the, the idea that i need something and then when i start to get into that space where i start to fantasize about using again that I start to disempower those thoughts by going, man, I'm, you know, I know where that's going to lead me. Let's get back to, to the emotion that's driving me at the moment. It's this regulated space of anxiety. Neil, I don't want to keep you any much longer. Thank you so much for joining me today on Locked and Down. If anyone wanted to contact you or reach out to you, do you have any social media or websites or anything? We've established an email address specifically for this um, for this time for folk. You know, we're doing we're seeing patients via video consults as well. We're trying not to get folk uh, exposed folk to too many of the dangers, and so they can contact contact me via email. Neil A Moore Z A N E I L a-M-O-O-R-E-Z-A at gmail.com. Thank you once again to everyone listening. Please send your WhatsApp voice notes on how you're feeling now that we have passed the halfway stage. The number for that is 0836381395 and we'll share the best voice notes on one of our upcoming episodes. Or perhaps you want to let us know which topics you'd love to hear us cover. From me, Cindy Paluta, thank you for listening to Locked and Down and as always, show compassion and stay safe. Help is at hand during this lockdown. Call SADAG between 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on 0800 567 789 or visit sadag.org before it's too late. For more episodes of the Locked and Down podcast, visit lifepodcasts.fm.